bless you. You may be seated this morning. Last Sunday we started um, uh, a lesson. Uh, we may finish it today, if not for sure by next Sunday. It's not going to be as long and drawn out as our last series was. Uh, but we began talking about wisdom. And uh, it's very important to, uh, in my opinion, it's very important in God's opinion to have wisdom. The Bible, and we went through that several, uh, several scripture settings last week about God instructing us in his word to obtain wisdom. Wisdom uh, is, it's more than experience. It's more than knowledge. You can be the most brilliant person on the wor- in the world and not have wisdom. You can be, uh, you, you can be uh, a person of great stature and not have wisdom. You can have uh, more degrees behind your name than a thermometer, but it doesn't mean that you're a wise person. Wisdom is the conduit that knowledge moves through. So you can have knowledge, and if you use your knowledge unwisely, then you are an unwise person. You can also be a person that doesn't have a lot of knowledge, but if you have wisdom, you know how to take what knowledge you have and apply it properly, uh, then you can be considered a wise person. Uh, so, so knowledge and wisdom are two different things. Uh, again, wisdom being the conduit or the pipeline through which knowledge flows. How do people respond? How do people act? How do people use what they know? And so... Uh, In talking about wisdom, God says that it's important that we obtain wisdom, that we have wisdom. It's a very necessary part of our walk with God because uh, we can have all of this knowledge of the Word of God or all this knowledge of God, but if we don't use it wisely, then uh, we can hurt or harm people. Uh, So where does knowledge come from? We're going to talk about uh, this morning, uh, Lord willing, get into the seven pillars of wisdom. Uh, and and they, these are things in our life that support uh, our relationship with God. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. But Job 28 and 28. The, Job is speaking here and he begins to build for us the foundation of our relationship with God. Here is the foundation of your relationship with God. And unto man, he said, this is God speaking, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And apart from evil is understanding. So the fear of the Lord is wisdom. It's the first step. It's the beginning of our wisdom is to fear the Lord. And again, it's not to be afraid, but to respect God, to understand him. So where did wisdom originate? Where did it begin Where did it come from? How old is wisdom? How long has it been around? And so as we begin to study the scripture, Solomon provides for us the earliest mentioning of wisdom in Proverbs 8, 8, 1 through 21, and I'm not going to read that whole scripture setting. But if you look at this scripture setting closely, you'll find out that Solomon says that wisdom existed before creation. Before God created the universe, before God created the earth, wisdom existed. Uh, Therefore, uh, before uh, God did, uh, even 
we understand or possibly before God created angels, before any of this happened, there was wisdom. Wisdom is depicted in Proverbs 8 in such a fashion, in such a way that it is impossible to separate wisdom from God. We understand that, that wisdom, that in, in God is wisdom, and you cannot separate the two. God cannot be unwise, and neither can you have good wisdom that is not from God. Now, God did not acquire wisdom like we do. He possesses wisdom as part of his essential nature. In 1 Timothy 1 and 17, also in Jude 25, the Bible says he is the only wise God. Paul addresses him as God only wise in Romans 16, 27. So wisdom is a part of God's character. It's a part of his nature. Uh, so God doesn't learn things or doesn't become wise like we do. So the Bible says that wisdom is to be sought and desired by man, but has also been made available by Christ. We have the availability of wisdom because of Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, according to 1 Corinthians 1 and 30. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1 and 24, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians 2 and 3. So Jesus uh, himself, being the incarnation of God in Christ, is made wisdom or is wise, and he gives us the ability to obtain wisdom. Again, wisdom being the conduit through which our knowledge moves. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to apply your knowledge properly. It's another thing to use it wisely. Uh, so to, uh, to have some great knowledge. Um, for example, I, I heard, and this is kind of a far out, wild, crazy example, so please pardon me, I'm already telling you it is. But this past week I heard of, of one of Al-Qaeda's top bomb makers uh, that they're hunting him. The, uh, the United States has sent out all of these drones, and it's amazing they put this on TV so, every, so he can hear it too. But they're sending out all these drones, and they have begun to, uh, this, this organization has begun to move this man around. Uh, real, and, and he, he only stays in a few, a few moments at each place, and, and he's training people, and they're, they're moving away from him because they know it's only a matter of time before the United States catches up to him. Now, he has a lot of knowledge. He understands some things that could be very useful. There are companies that pay people a lot of money to learn how to blow stuff up. And that sounds like a great job. I would like that. You mean you want me to blow that building up? Yes, I will. <laughs> not make a mess. Not going to guarantee it. But I'd love to blow it up. So this man has knowledge. He has knowledge. He knows how to make an explosive. But his wisdom is wrong. The conduit through which he's using his knowledge 
is not the right conduit. And so he's using it for, a, uh, for what he believes to be a good uh, cause, but it is, in fact, as we understand, not a good cause. So it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to have the wisdom to apply your knowledge properly. And this can be used in every aspect of our life. You may know something about somebody, but to apply that knowledge properly takes wisdom. So if you find out that somebody has done something or said something or has something, you know, if you find out somebody has a dreaded disease and they don't want to let that be known, you may know that, but learn how to apply that properly. That is wisdom. So Jesus gives us, Jesus gives us the ability to obtain wisdom. Solomon and his uh, and become the most wise. He became the most wise man that ever lived because of God's impartation of wisdom. Solomon said, "Whoso findeth me," or talking about wisdom, "findeth life." But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. He all that hate me loveth death. He's talking about wisdom here. If you find wisdom, you can find life. You understand things. You know how to apply things. Wisdom becomes more, and this is what I mentioned a moment ago, wisdom becomes more the proper use and application of knowledge more than knowledge itself. It's not your human ability. Wisdom is not your knowledge. It's not your ability. It's not your ingenuity. It's none of those things. It's how to apply that. Solomon says it's a fountain of life or a source of death. Wisdom can be a fountain of life, and I have seen people, I have talked to people, there are people that I know in this church that they are wise people. And if you go to them and you talk to them, it doesn't matter how uh, dire the circumstance is in your life or in their life, when they begin to speak, they begin to talk about some of the experiences, but they know how to apply it. And the next thing you know, you feel much better. You feel good. They feel good. It brings life. It rejuvenates you. It, it brings about a positive mindset. It brings about a positive spirit. And so they have brought life. But, but the lack of knowledge, the lack of knowledge can bring about death as people uh, or circumstance or situation that when they find out something or when they know something, they, they use it to badger or they use it to beat up or they use it to manipulate or they use it to, uh, to uh, try to gain their own advantage. They use it to try to blackmail and it brings death. Uh, maybe not physically all the time. I do believe that there's a group of people who do the lack of knowledge and the lack of wisdom of how to use their knowledge has caused their own physical death. But, but wisdom can bring life, and the lack of it can bring death, can bring spiritual death. So the Bible talks about seven pillars of wisdom that we are to erect in our life. And to do this, we first start by fearing or respecting God. 
there's going to be very few biblical concepts that you're going to be willing to apply to your life if you don't care about God or what he thinks. And I know that's kind of a straightforward, I'm sorry that that's the approach I have, I generally do. I'm not real sorry about it, never mind. But if people don't care what God thinks, they're not going to apply scriptural concepts to their life. It's not going to, because it's tough. It's not always easy to want to maintain a good attitude or a good spirit. And so, in order to force ourselves to do that, uh, you know, you have to have some kind of respect of God or fear, the Bible says, of God. And, and so, uh, that is the very foundation that holds up the pillars of wisdom is the fear of God, that God, I understand who you are enough. I know who you are enough. I respect you enough that I am going to begin to build in my life a foundation of wisdom to know, to understand how to apply the word of God to my life. And so the fear of the Lord or the respect of God is the beginning of wisdom. And then after this, we must be born of water and spirit, according to John 3, 1 and 8. And then we are made partakers of his divine nature, according to 2 Peter 1 and 3. And the Bible says in Colossians 2 and 3, Now the one in whom are hid all the treasures, wisdom and knowledge, lives in our heart by his spirit. So wisdom the beginning of wisdom is to fear God, and then as we receive his spirit, he lives in us. He brings the seed. Pastor has taught many times about when you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive the seed. You receive it for the fruit of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, on and on and on it goes. You also receive, when you receive the Holy Ghost, it's like you get a box, a goodie box. I remember reading uh, one, of my, one of my hobbies I guess you could say is to read, uh, to study some of the, our past wars, particularly World War II. And one of the things they used to talk about was the Red Cross would bring POWs if, when they could get in a, a care package. And it would have little things in there, little uh, toothpaste or a few things like that when they could get them in. And, uh, but when you get the Holy Ghost, you get like a care package. And it's got some seeds in it. They're not literal, but you receive these seeds, and if you'll plant them in your life, the next day you walk out and you have this great big tree full of fruit, right? But it's a process. But after a period of time, you ought to start seeing some progress on the plants growing. Okay? Some of those plants like a cucumber. Have anybody ever planted cucumbers? Good Lord. I planted some a few years ago. And at one time, fortunately, at that particular time, we had a pasture behind our house. It wasn't mine, but uh, there were some cows back there. And I was feeding 30 cucumbers to the cows. Because we couldn't eat them. I couldn't give them away. We were maxed out with cucumbers out of six plants that I planted. Those things went crazy. So there are some seeds that grow fast. You ever planted a live oak tree? Brother Nixon has. If you plant a live oak tree this big, when you're five, 
when you turn 100, it'll be this big. Because some seeds grow, not really, but some seeds grow slow. The fact is, they always have to be growing. And the same is true in our life. When we receive the Holy Ghost and we receive this package of seeds from God, we plant them and they begin to grow in our life. And some things you'll see people just automatically, man, they're like, wow. And you're like, man, look already. God's doing things and those seeds are growing quick. And some of them take some of us take some time to develop them. The, problem, the thing is we have to be developing them. If you never plant that seed, guess what happens? It never grows. Isn't that crazy? If you never plant an apple tree, don't walk outside in your pasture and look for an apple tree because it's likely to not be there. The same is true with wisdom. We understand we need wisdom. I have all of this knowledge and I need to know how to apply it, but I don't ever plant the seed of wisdom. When God fills us with the Holy Ghost, he gives us the ability to be a wise person. It's up to us to develop it. God doesn't force anybody to do anything. He tells you what you should do, what you should not do, how uh, you should live your life to please him. If you choose to, that's fine. If you choose not to, And then he says there's going to be a good and a bad, right and a wrong, and up and a down. It's all right there. This is the way. This is not the way. Bam. It's up to you. It's a decision you make. And wisdom can help us to make the right decision. And we receive wisdom or the seed of wisdom when we receive the Holy Ghost. Now, when we begin to develop wisdom, it puts us in a position where the seven pillars of wisdom can start to be made manifest in our life. And manifesting the Spirit of God and His attributes become our responsibility. Okay? So erecting these seven pillars of wisdom, applying them to our life, letting them be a part of our life, allowing them to be a part of our life, is up to you. In ten years... From now, if the Lord tarries, you can sit on this church pews and you can say, you know, Brother Merrill taught 10 years ago about wisdom and I don't feel any wiser. Not brother wiser, any wiser. Guess whose fault it will be? I love our society. I talked to somebody this past week about this. Society has gotten into this uh, blame game. Well, do you know if you don't turn out perfect, you know whose fault it was. It was your mom and daddy's. They're, they were the knuckleheads. And, you know, if something happens at work, then it was always the other person's fault. There was a girl I was talking to about it at work that has kind of a real funky mentality. And she starts, she likes to start up trouble. You ever know anybody like that? She just likes to stir up trouble. Is anybody in here like that? No. <laughs> Not me, Brother Merrill. This girl loves conflict, thrives on conflict. She told me Friday as I was getting ready to leave, she was all upset and all that stuff. And I asked her, I said, what's going on? And she said, 
Everywhere I'm at, there just seems to be conflict, and nobody likes me. I can see that. So to allow this becomes our choice, we have to allow the principles and these pillars of wisdom to begin to be made manifest in our life. But the scripture says something really interesting in Luke chapter 7, verse 35. The Bible says, but wisdom is justified of all her children. Nothing defines, supports, exalts wisdom more than the her children. The seven pillars that we will examine, that we're going to start talking about, will establish and raise up wisdom in your life. You're a child of God. God has wisdom. God is wisdom. God, part of his nature is wisdom. And he wants you to apply it to your life. Well, John, and we're going to we're fixing to start talking about the seven spirits of God. And this, this directly relates to, to wisdom, the seven pillars of wisdom. I'll get it out here in just a second. John on the Isle of Patmos, when he was receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ, introduces us to seven spirits of God in Revelations 1 to 4, 4 and 5, and 5 and 6. The spirits are represented by three things according to John. You'll remember this if, you, if you've read the beginning of Revelations. There are seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. There are seven horns and there are seven eyes. And if you understand here and take note of this. The seven spirits are before the throne. Then these seven spirits are sent forth into the earth. And then number three, it is the Lamb or Jesus Christ who has these seven spirits, according to Revelation. So they are before the throne, and then these seven spirits are sent into the earth by Jesus. Jesus brings them. And so if Jesus brings them into the earth, they come out of Jesus, they're a part of him, then they are available to mankind. So what are the seven spirits of God? They can best be found in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. That's where the Bible talks about them. They're best identified They're throughout the word of God, but this is the best place to find all of them. And the Bible says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall go out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he shall make for him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. So the seven spirits of God are the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of fear or respect. We receive the Holy Ghost today, the comforter that was sent by Jesus from heaven after his ascension. We all understand that. Upon receiving the spirit of the Holy Ghost or receiving the Holy Ghost, we are made partakers of the seven spirits of God. We receive them under ourselves and we have to begin to manifest them and to allow them to grow in our life. And there's something I want to read here. I'm just going to read a paragraph from his notes. The guy that wrote this 
uh, was incredibly brilliant, and there's no better way to say what he's fixing to say, so I'm just going to read it, so bear with me. Available to us through the infilling of the Holy Ghost are the attributes of Jesus Christ. He who is wisdom personified now lives within to shed abroad in our hearts not only his love, but wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Oh, that we would receive them when we receive the Holy Ghost. Resulting from this experience comes the wisdom that is from above. Remember, the Holy Ghost is from heaven. Thus, the seven spirits which are before the throne are sent into the earth through that one spirit. Resting upon the foundation of the fear of the Lord, wisdom now erects the seven pillars that will justify and support the structure. So our relationship with God, everything that we are as a child of God, rests upon seven pillars of wisdom if we'll allow them to grow. And those seven pillars rest upon the fear of God or the respect of God. When Jesus said, build a sure foundation, because when the storms of life come and they're going to come, some of them are going to wash you away if you're not built upon a rock, if you don't have a foundation. And wisdom builds that foundation. Again, wisdom isn't just knowledge. It's knowing how to apply what you know, knowing how to manifest what we know. We know that God is love. We know that there is peace. We know that there is joy. We know that there is forgiveness. We know these things, but how do we apply them? That's wisdom. We know that God is a righteous God, but how do we apply that knowledge to our life? How does our life re represent that? How does it reflect that? That's wisdom. And so what the Bible is trying to tell us is that our foundation, everything that we are. Look, do you know that every decision you make, every decision you make from when you're going to get up in the morning and eat breakfast till you go to bed at night and every other decision that you'll make in your lifetime is made based on some type of wisdom. There's a conduit through which that decision is made. And what conduit you use affects the outcome of your life. It's true. What you decide to do and the wisdom you use affects the outcome of your life. So there are seven, these seven pillars that we want to talk about of wisdom. Now there's two types of wisdom before we get to that. There's two types of wisdom. In the spiritual realm, there's two types. Both of them affect the inward man. They both originate from opposite and opposing directions. And both types of wisdom affect the spirit, the character, and the conduct of a man or a woman. When I say man, it means humanity. So there's two types of wisdom. They are both going to affect your spirit. They're both going to affect your mindset. They're both going to affect who you are. They affect your character. But they're from equal, or not from equal, but they're from opposing uh, sides. The first type the Bible talks about in James chapter 3 is the wisdom not from above. The Bible says this form of wisdom 
is identified as earthly, sensual, devilish. Its attributes are bitter envying and strife. And from this bitter envying and strife comes confusion in every evil. That's what the Bible says about that type of wisdom. And it goes back to the girl I was just talking about at work. You want to know why she doesn't have any friends? You want to know why nobody likes her? And she's, she's all, she was confused about this. I spent about 30 minutes with her Friday trying to get her to understand. If you, want to, if you want people to be friendly with you, you need to stop talking about them and stop cussing them out and stop hating them. That, that would go a long way. You know, if every time somebody walks up to you, they call you everything but a decent person, eventually you're not going to want to hang around them anymore. That's human nature. The bad thing is she's a good person. She's just, her direction, her mindset is wrong. She's, the, the wisdom that she's using doesn't work. And this is, the Bible says this wisdom is not from above. It's not from God. So when you make a choice in your life, you're going to use one of two types of wisdom because that's what the Bible says there is. There's either godly wisdom or there's not. It's earthly wisdom. And every decision you make is going to go through one of those two conduits. Every decision will go through one of those two conduits. Will your decision bring you closer to God or will it take you further away from God? Are you doing what God wants you to do or are you doing what you want to do? After the, after the sermon last week that Brother Murphy taught a fantastic sermon last week. After that sermon, I want to make sure that I'm using godly wisdom. The gifts of the Spirit confirm His word, and I'll never forget what God said. If love doesn't draw you, if I can't win you through love, what else can I do? He's done everything God's saying. I've done everything I can do to try to draw you to a relationship with me. But that some still just won't do it. Wisdom says, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to abandon my earthly wisdom. And I'm going to commit myself in, to God's wisdom. Wisdom of earthly origin originated in the Garden of Eden. <coughs> I did not, excuse me, I did not understand, didn't even think about this until I read this material. But what does the Bible say about when Adam and Eve fell? It says that the, the Bible says that the tree of knowledge was to be desired to make one wise. In Genesis 3 and 6. Satan deceived Eve into thinking that if she and Adam would eat of the fruit, that they would acquire wisdom that God had hidden from them. All Satan did was convince Eve that if you want wisdom, God has hidden it. It's this mysterious thing that you're not allowed to have. 
But if you want it, all you have to do is eat of the tree. And that began, Eve fell for it. Not only did Eve fall, fall for it, but Adam fell for it. And that began the branch of earthly wisdom. And to this day, people fall for the same trick. 7,000 years, humanity has fallen for the same trick. We buy into, if you want wisdom, there's another way to do it. You don't have to go through God. The problem is we see the end result of that type of wisdom. And then the Bible talks about the wisdom that is from above. It originates with God. It's not earthly. It's, it doesn't produce confusion and evil works and envy and strife like earthly wisdom does. Uh, people... Uh, it's, it's amazing to watch as people and this, this lady at work I'm talking about as they, they sow that type of wisdom in their life, what it brings. And so they just keep on, keep on and keep on down that same path. It never leads to anything productive, but godly wisdom does. And upon receiving the Spirit of God and we begin to apply this to our life, we begin to, to, to produce or begin to build in our life Seven pillars of wisdom. And these seven things that I'm fixing to talk about will build a relationship with God in your life that you have never dreamed possible if you'll apply it. If you'll apply it. Whose responsibility is it? Whose responsibility is it? It's yours. I oftentimes, unfortunately, for Sister Odessa and Sister Sheila and Sister Jackie and Ethel and a host of others, they get to hear me on Thursday night sometimes in Bible study at Sister Odessa's house, who's an excellent host. And uh, if you ever want to have a good time, go hang out with these folks. They know how to get, have a good time, especially at the end of Bible study. For some reason here recently, we've been getting a lot of lemon pie. It's my one weakness, but anyway, that's not, not my only one, but it's one of them. But they get to hear me all the time, and, and I tell them all the time that if I could serve God for you, I would. If I could serve God for you, I would do it. I have also say all the time, if I could make you serve God, I would. If I could just somehow force people. To live for God the way he wants them to live for him so they can make it to heaven, I would do it. No problem. But I can't. And so that responsibility falls on each and every one of your shoulders to serve God as it falls on mine to serve God for myself. And so the application of what we're fixing to talk about, the uh, the building these things in your life is going to, to result as a decision that you make. So beginning in just a few moments, and I realize I've got seven minutes left. Some of you sighed. But get, beginning in just a few moments, 
you're going to have to make a decision as to whether or not I'm going to begin to build in my life these seven pillars of wisdom that are going to produce in my life a relationship with God that's going to produce in my life a relationship with others that's going to produce fruit, that's going to produce stability. When you see the storms of life come against somebody, you, you see some that are swept away, others stand stalwart. And you look at them and you are amazed. And, and I've done it. I've said, my, how do they, how do they stand under that type of, of pressure? And, and every, uh, how do they stand under that type of turmoil? And they've built for them a foundation. So you're going to make a decision. Everybody that's listening is going to make a decision in just a few minutes. How am I going to respond? Do I continue down the chosen path that I've made or do I change my direction if you're already on the right path then I wouldn't change but if you're not then maybe you should think about it the first pillar of wisdom is purity the Bible said God's spirit or the Holy Ghost is pure and it purifies our souls according to 1 Peter chapter 1 and 22. It causes us to be pure. Pure in this verse in the original Greek uh, means to be clean, to be innocent, to be modest, and to be chaste. When the Bible speaks of Christians of having a pure heart in 1 Timothy 1 and 5, 1 Peter 1 and 22, the Bible talks about in 1 Timothy 3 and 9, it says we should have a pure conscience. And in 2 Peter 3 and 1, it says we should have a pure mind. God demands of us moral, mental, spiritual purity. Purity is a pillar supporting and justifying our claim to wisdom. God demands it. So as we claim to be a wise person, as we claim that we have godly wisdom, in order to support that claim, we have to show that we are a pure person. It's going to be real hard to say that I, I am a child of God. I've served God for X number of years or X number of days or whatever. I'm close to God and God and I have this thing and everything's cool between me and him. When you're living totally contrary to what he says. You'll never convince anybody, maybe yourself. I heard this past week. A man told me that his daughter, when she turned 18, started going off on another, another chosen path. And, and uh, they sat down and talked to her about it and said, you know, that's not what the Bible says. You understand that you're living contrary to what the Bible says. And he told me, uh, it was very heartbreaking news, but he said, she looked at him and said, I know that. 
But God and I have this thing going, and he understands. That's not godly wisdom. Purity is godly wisdom. To have a pure heart, let your motives be pure. Let your motives be pure. Don't, don't use people. People are not a rung on the corporate ladder. Have a pure heart. And then have a pure conscience. Forgive the past. Forgive people. Clean your conscience up. Uh, if you've done something, make it right. To the best of your ability, make it right. I drove this past week through Woodville, Mississippi on my way to Natchez uh, for work. And as I was driving through Woodville, there's a little store right there on the corner. I don't know if you've ever been through uh, Woodville, but there's not a whole lot there. But there's a little store right off to the, uh, the right-hand side. And at that store, when I was about 14 or 15, I stole something. It's the only place I've ever shoplifted anything. We was on our way to, to Lake Mary to go fishing, and we stopped in there, and I stole something from that store. It still bugs the fire out of me today. My conscience won't let me live that down, and every time I see that store, it reminds me that I stole something. So several years ago, I went in there, and, and the store had changed hands, but to try to appease my conscience, I found the item that I stole, something similar, and I went to the cash register and let them check it out, and then I put it back on the shelf to try to pay them back. But my conscience doesn't, doesn't still doesn't give me rest over the fact that I was a thief, a hardened criminal. A $2, a $2 item fell victim to my criminal ways. But to the best of our ability, we should clean our conscience. We should have a pure conscience and know that, that, that things that I've done in the past, wrongs that I've committed, I'm going to make them right and then have a pure mind. Our minds should be pure. We should not uh, think on evil continually and connive ways to get back and, and to, to get revenge and I'll show them. And, but our minds should be pure. We should think on good things, purity, purity in our every part of our life and every part of our thought and every part of our words and every part of our action should be a pillar of wisdom. It shows that God is beginning to grow in our lives. Praise the Lord. We're going to next week wrap this up. I appreciate your attention today. God bless you. We, uh, we have a we have a long way to go. I have a long way to go. Some of you are pretty close. But I have a long way to go. And uh, I appreciate Bible studies like this. I know that I'm teaching it, but it usually does me as much or more good than anybody else to know that uh, it's not over. We still have, while we're alive, we still have a chance uh, to be what God wants us to be. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you. Don't go anywhere. We'll start our second service in just a few moments.